Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right now, uh, he is, simply put, the best at what he does as far as draft, analyzing, and perfect as we enter the week of the combine here from The Athletic. I did not know this, that Dane Brugler also is an amateur barbecue pitmaster, which is awesome. Dane's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How good of a uh, barbecue pitmaster are you? It's kind of an oxymoron, right? Amateur, uh, but, you know, it's – it's a hobby that turned into a little bit more. So, uh, you know, any chance I get an opportunity to come to Indianapolis and take part in some of the barbecue, some of the steak, I I mean, I'm all for it. So always love my trips to Indy. Well, now, do you watch or have you seen all the episodes of Barbecue Pitmaster? I've seen them. I don't know if I've seen them all, but uh, I definitely check them out. It's uh, it's an art. You know, these these guys are – uh, what they're doing is more than just just cooking. You know, they they are they are dedicating their lives to this. So yeah, I put a lot of respect on that. Yeah, Myron Mixon, one of my heroes, right there. I'm right there with Absolutely. you. Absolutely, <laughs> Dane is with us. Uh, an art at wide receiver for Marvin Harrison Jr. Do you like the way that he is uh, evidently going to handle this combine week? I mean, I give him credit because he knows he doesn't need to do this, and so he's not going to. And he's certainly not the first. Um, you know, going back to the mid nineties, every year we've seen guys uh, opt not to work out, um, you know, still be here. They'll take part in the medicals, take part in the interviews. And I think you know, we need to remember that's the whole purpose of the combine is first of all, the medicals, you know, they wanted to create a central place for 300 players to get all their medicals done. So they don't have to fly all over the country for every team. And then the interview process for a lot of coaches in the NFL this will be their first introduction to the player. Uh, and so first impressions mean a lot. And for a lot of these players, this is, this is a big opportunity. And for Marvin Harrison Jr., he's going to take part in those. Will he run the 40? Will he do some of the on-field stuff? No. And I don't think he necessarily has to. Uh, what, and, you know, I think the 40 and the, all these testing, you know, they don't mean as much for top 10 players. Nobody in the NFL is going to change their draft board, whether or not a player runs the 40-yard dash or not. Uh, but you know, that's not true for every, every player, some players, this testing portion of of the draft process, it's really important and they need to go out there with their best foot forward. Marvin Harrison just isn't one of those guys. He will be drafted somewhere in the top five and he is the favorite to be the first non-quarterback drafted. Is he clearly the best wide receiver by a long shot in this draft? No, I wouldn't say that. And that's more a testament to Malik Neighbors from LSU. And I'd even throw Roma Dunze from Washington in there as well. Uh, this is just a really good year to need a wide receiver. In, in most other years, uh, Malik Neighbors would be wide receiver one consensus. And in other years, Roma Dunze from Washington would be the consensus wide receiver one. It just so happens Marvin Harrison Jr. is also in this class. And uh, all three of these guys are, you could argue, three, maybe the three best non-quarterbacks in this draft. 
Uh, all three could be off the board in the top six picks. That's very realistic. Um, but this is another strong wide receiver class, uh, both in, in the first round early, but then second round, third round. It's a position that will stretch throughout draft weekend, but it all starts at the top with these three guys. And I tell you, Malik Neighbors from LSU, uh, what are the limitations with this guy? I mean, the acceleration he plays with before and after the catch, he'll go up and make plays. Um, you know, you, you can see his seven on seven background with just the way he plays out there, creates space for himself and then is able to make something happen with the ball in his hands. And then Roma Dunze, he's so good through contact. Uh, he's very good as a route runner. He's going to be close to 220 pounds and still run in the four, three, four, four range. So all three of these uh, wide receivers at the top teams are going to feel good about maybe we have our wide receiver one moving forward when they're able to take these guys. It's a Dane Brugler of the athletic will be here in town for the combine. He's with us via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. Uh, every year I'm one that says you need like 19 wide receivers. That's the Colts here, right? And even more to me, it's reinforced with uh, the prospect of Anthony Richardson and what you want him to end up being and how Shane Steichen is going to play offensively. So who may be lurking in the neighborhood of 15 if the Colts draft there as far as these names we're talking about here in this wide receiving class well those top three names I mentioned will, will be gone they'll be certainly be off the board I, I think the fourth receiver is Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU who a little bit younger a little more raw elements to his game uh, but for a guy that's 6'4 210 uh, basketball background just 21 years old he's gonna run really well uh, he's a better route runner than most his age. He's a very good blocker. So he does a lot of the things that you need to do to get on the field early in the NFL. Um, and so there's some developing left for him to do. But when you look at the traits, you look at his want to and his, his athletic instincts, you feel really good projecting him out as not only a long-term guy, but someone that can come in pretty quickly and help you as a rookie. Uh, but this is a, a, a position where you don't have to necessarily target that position in the first round because because again, second round, third round, you know, you feel good about maybe an Adonai Mitchell from Texas in round two, um, you know, Troy Franklin from Oregon. Uh, if you want more of that speedster, Xavier uh, Worthy from Texas is that guy, a little undersized, but he can absolutely fly. He's sudden in and out of his breaks. Um, so at every level of, uh, of the draft, there's going to be a receiver that's going to appeal to a team like the Colts, and they have a chance to get better on the wide receiver depth chart, no question. Uh, he is Dane Brugler of The Athletic. will be in town, of course, the NFL draft analyst. You can follow him at DP Brugler. You should, with all the information for the combine and the upcoming draft. Of course, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So you explain the wide receiver position as being incredibly robust. How does that compare? for example, to an edge rushing type of position going into the combine, then ultimately the spring draft. Yeah, I think edge rusher is uh, it's I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, you know, I feel like we've been kind of spoiled with uh, these top edge rushers in, in past years, whether it's Miles Garrett at number one or you know, the Bosa brothers and what they would bring Khalil Mack. We, we've had these pass rushers at the top this draft doesn't necessarily have that true blue chipper at the top, but there's still some really quality uh, pass rushers uh, if they go that direction in the first round. Dallas Turner from Alabama, 
Uh, he's a freak athlete. He, he's, he looks – the testing portion, the athletic testing, he, he's going to move like a middle linebacker. But he can play the edge. He led the SEC in sacks this past year. He's very good against the run. And uh, so, someone's going to fall in love with him somewhere in the top half of round one. So he might not even get to pick number 15 where the Colts are picking. Uh, Jared Verse from Florida State I think would make sense. Uh, he's a power rusher. He can go through guys. Also this year showed a little more finesse and trying to just expand his uh, pass rush repertoire. So he's a guy that will be in the mid-first-round mix as well. Uh, Chop Robinson from Penn State. Can't wait to see his 10-yard split and some of his explosive numbers this year or this uh, week at the Combine. He is uh, so quick off the ball. I mean, that that's his kind of superhero trait. You know, he needs to get better in some other areas. But when you have that initial burst, that, that first step get off, good luck trying to block him. And so Chop Robinson somewhere in that top 25 mix as well. Uh, so this is a, a good year. We, I don't, I'm not sure where that first defensive player is going to be drafted. It's going to be a very, very offensive heavy top 10. And then where is that first defensive player come off the board and what position will it be? Will it be one of those edge rushers I just mentioned? Will it be a corner like Terry and Arnold from Alabama, Quinion Mitchell, Toledo, uh, maybe even Byron Murphy, the defensive tackle from Texas, uh, where that first defensive player comes off the board is going to be really interesting. But Indianapolis at 15 will kind of be right there in that mix to take one of the top defensive players on their board. We got to get lost into to all the quarterback performance slash conversation. I know we normally do, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is going to be a, an odd year. We're getting lost in it. But it seems like it started a little bit slow, but now it really begins to pick up steam. Who has the opportunity to make the most out of it right now? And you know, for those that, that already have kind of set the bar where they want it going into a pro day and going into the draft, where, where do we start as far as what you think is the best at that position going into the combine then ultimately into that draft in in the late spring yeah i think uh, we obviously caleb williams drake may had the most steam coming into the season and in my opinion they're still the top two quarterbacks now give Jaden daniels credit for what he did this past year at lsu the improvements he made what he did on the field he accounted for 90 plays of 20-plus yards this year. Just an astounding number. Um, now, there's still some questions about his game and how that will translate, but it's easy to look at him and say, you know what, our offense needs a jolt. This guy can give that to us. And so I think those will be your first three quarterbacks off the board, probably with the first three picks. If I'm the Patriots sitting there at three, I'm hoping that all three of those quarterbacks show out this week at the combine. Not everyone's going to be on the field and throwing. Uh, Daniel said he won't. Caleb Williams is going to wait for his pro day. But in terms of the interview process and getting to know these teams and, and that whole interaction – the Patriots at three are hoping this goes really well because either they take a quarterback at three or they're going to get a big trade offer to move back uh, for a, a de- quarterback desperate team moving up to three to get that guy. I think the quarterback that maybe has the biggest chance to make a move outside of those top three, it's going to be J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, who the first thing you when you talk to uh, scouts about McCarthy, the first thing they mention is he's a winner. High school, he was 36-2 and two with a state championship college 27 and one with a, a national championship and i know people roll their eyes when you talk about quarterback win loss record and all that you know who cares nfl teams care so it's relevant to the conversation and with jj mccarthy his eval feels a little incomplete because he played for an offense that didn't ask him to do a ton through the air it was a ground they built that offense to be a power rushing attack and hey it worked they won the national title 
So, but there's still some uh, parts of his evaluation with the decision making that you want to see a little bit more of. But what we have seen, he's really good on money downs, third and fourth down. He's a very mobile athlete with his legs, and not just outside the pocket, but within the pocket as well. He's a loose thrower. There's a lot of things about J.J. McCarthy that when you project him forward, it's easy to buy into that. So if he has a good week this week at the Combine, which I think he will, and I think the biggest thing will be the intangibles when he sits down with coaches and they really get a chance to figure out his mental makeup and how he's wired – that's going to really play a big uh, – it's going to be A-plus in his category. And so, McCarthy, I think he's going to end up being a top-12 pick. It's just a matter of how high. Plenty of teams could use a quarterback from the Falcons at 8. Uh, if you're looking at the Vikings at 11, the Broncos at 12, Raiders at 13. And so, this is a big opportunity this week for J.J. McCarthy. And if you're the Colts, obviously, you want all the quarterbacks to go in the first 14 picks. Throw Bo Nix in there. You know, try to get as many <laughs> quarterbacks – so it can push better players to you at number 15. What's, uh, where's this put Brock Bowers ultimately? And I'm assuming because I, I haven't seen a lot of the tight end position, but all you ever hear is of his exploits. Is it thin and how much value will he hold atop this first round? Well, interesting that you use the word thin because I think that is going to be kind of the question with Bowers. When he weighs in, I, I think a lot of people are going to be kind of turned off. <laughs> he's not the biggest guy. He's going to be, and, he know, gonna be he, look like as a wide receiver or something like that is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. He, if he comes in at, you know, 6'3 and change and 236 pounds, you know, like I don't – he's not your prototypical wide tight end. And that's okay. He doesn't need to be. I think – you know, we have to shift our thinking with a Brock Bowers and view him as a hybrid playmaker. And not every offensive coordinator will be willing to do that. Um, you know, the whole tight end position and it is it worth drafting a guy that early. You look at the tight ends around the league, a lot of them, second, third, fourth round. But you don't have to use a first round uh, capital on the position. But still, at the same time, Brock Bowers is one of the best players in the draft. And so if he were to make it down to 15, I, I think you're getting tremendous value there. Um, and as long as Shane Steichen and the offensive staff understand how to best use him to you know, get the most bang for your buck, drafting him at pick number 15, I think that could end up being a steal for the Colts. Dane Brugler, we'll see right there. You just perked up some ears around here with the Colts fans, Dane. Dane Brugler from the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline within the past three or so hours. Also, you, you can see, I think it's on Spotify, maybe maybe other formats as well, prospects to pros. You do a, a look-see, I think, basically throughout every position you know, going into the combine and the draft. And one of the other positions of need certainly for the Colts, Dane, is that of cornerback. You got a little bit into it going defensive as far as the first round is concerned and where these defensive players may fall in, but what about the cornerback position for a team of need like the Colts? I think that's definitely another position they could go in the first round. This is a first round, especially the top 20. It's going to be filled with the premium positions, talking about quarterbacks, wide receivers, offensive tackles, and then corners. We're going to see a lot of those positions go in the top 20. And the corners, you're looking at Terry and Arnold from Alabama, who uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry gets all the pub, but Terry and Arnold, when you watch the tape, one of those corners is the more athletic and the more physical, the more competitive, and it's Arnold uh, at number three on the outside there. He can also play inside of the nickel. I think he's going to test well this week. Quinion Mitchell from Toledo, 
elite ball production. And I don't throw the word elite around very often, but elite ball production with his ability to track the ball, get his hands on it. Uh, my favorite thing about him is, yes, he's a 4-3 athlete, uh, but he's also very composed, and there's no panic in the way he plays. So Quinion Mitchell, he's going to continue the momentum that he brings over from the senior bowl and have a great week here. And then Nate Wiggins from Clemson, I think, is the third guy to keep on the radar. Uh, 6'2", 185. I expect him to test really well. Uh, suddenness, long speed. The question with him is physicality. But when you have that type of athleticism, you know, you're going to be able to maybe look past a little bit of that when you can connect yourself to NFL receivers and play up and down the field. So if I'm the Colts at 15, I'm feeling good about my options with these corners, some of these pass catchers, um, you know, some of the other players that will be available at 15. I don't need to move around too much. I should have some good options there at 15. Dane, Chris Ballard, we know around here at what a high value he holds in the senior bowl. Anybody jump off the page as far as maybe their performance or maybe in terms of being a surprise, a surprising performance? Yeah, and the other thing we know about uh, Chris Ballard is he loves traits on the defensive line. And Darius Robinson from Missouri showed out at the Senior Bowl. Um, he was outstanding. He's 6'5", 290. He's long. He's athletic. Um, and he couldn't be blocked all week in Mobile during practice. And I think that's something that will continue here at the Senior Bowl with uh, the way he plays. He's not going to be – he's not going to have the best 40. Uh, he'll probably be somewhere in the 4'7", 4'8". Uh, but I mean, again, this is a guy that we're talking about 290 and he's going to run that time. He's going to have suddenness. He's going to have power. So I think Darius Robinson, probably more a guy that's going to go in the twenties than, than the top 20, but definitely a name to keep on the radar. If you're a, if you're a Colts fan, cause you know, we've got the, uh, got the eye of Ballard. What position are you most uh, excited about seeing workout wise here? Uh, you know, I, I think probably corner, uh, just because no other position is affected more by the, the workouts than corner. Because if, if you're a corner in the NFL, you have to be a top-tier athlete. You, you cannot sacrifice that. You cannot, uh, you know, you cannot be a top-tier athlete and not play on the outside against NFL wide receivers. So it's a stopwatch position, how they test, how they run, how they move around out there. That can sometimes change how teams view the position more than more than other positions because of the way they move. And, and it's great when you watch these guys one after the other. So you have instant comparisons, how one guy runs, how one guy does his backpedal, how quick he is to plant his foot, click, close, make a play on the ball. We get that all here at the Combine, one after the other. And I think no other position is necessarily affected more than corner because, again, you need top-tier athletes. And we've got a few of them, or quite a few of them this year in this corner class, and I can't wait to see them move out there. It's Dane Brugler with us from The Athletic. He'll be in town for the Combine. Is there anybody that, that really needs to have – a good combine, a strong combine to move their name up. Anybody, maybe you're thinking not a first rounder, maybe a day two, late day two, whatever, uh, maybe even a day three, that combined with this combine performance could see their their prospect, could see their value elevated? 
Uh, no question. I think, you know, above all, you're trusting the tape with these guys. Um, but at the same time, you want to see guys go out there and run good times and be athletes. And, you know, Jalen Polk from Washington, uh, you know, he's the quote unquote other Washington receiver. Uh, he's there's a lot of things he does well in the football field. He'll go up and make catches. Uh, you know, he's uh, got a great catch radius. But what type of athlete is he? 6'2", 205. Is he a 4'5'5 athlete or is he a 4'4'7 athlete? And so going him getting the best time that he can will be important. Um, I, pass rushers, uh, keeping with Washington, Braylon Trice, uh, you know, he's not the most sudden guy in terms of uh, bending the edge and uh, capturing the corner with pure speed. But seeing how he moves out there uh, will be big for him because we know he has the power. He can break down the rhythm of blockers at the point of attack. But what type of athlete is he when you put the testing data next to him? And I think above all, the thing that matters most with the combine where team or players need to help themselves is the medicals. And so a guy like Liatu Latu, the pass rusher from UCLA, who more pressures than any other pass rusher in this class, loved the hand skill. He's a good athlete, but he also had to medically retire a few years ago because of an issue with his back, his neck. And so how do the, you know, every team doctor is going to look at it a little bit differently. How does that come out of this week with, with Latu? How does that affect his draft stock? Michael Penix, uh, quarterback at Washington, he has four season-ending injuries in, in, uh, while he was at Indiana. So any of those injuries lingering, anything that teams are worried about, even though he did stay healthy the past two years. So above all, I think the medicals are something that even though we won't, you can't necessarily put a, a number next to it like a 40-yard dash, the medicals were, are where I think teams are uh, kind of crossing their fingers that they get a lot of good news on these guys. Hey, Dane, I'm glad you brought up Penix, too. I kind of wanted to close with him. How does he translate to the NFL level? Obviously, with the, the medicals that you're talking about and, and just with everything as a quarterback, where do you see him translating to the next level? I think for a team that is looking for uh, a really aggressive trigger man uh, who's going to test every square inch of the field, uh, that this is a guy for them. Now, I, I think there's several areas of his game, you know, some of the mechanics, some of the anticipation, some of the pressure reaction. Those are areas where he's not necessarily, uh, you know, he needs to get better, needs to develop in those areas. But I think the biggest selling point with Michael Penix is just the mental toughness. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that have made it in the NFL and the quarterbacks that haven't, a common theme is mental toughness. Um, it, guys are going to go through ups and downs. That's inevitable if you're a quarterback in the NFL. But do you have the mental toughness to be better because of those mistakes? Uh, and a lot of quarterbacks, when they bust, it's because they don't necessarily have that uh, in them to work past the mistakes and get better. I mean, Jalen Hurts, you, he made a ton of mistakes after he was drafted uh, it, with the Eagles, but he got better after every one. And with Michael Penix, to overcome four season-ending injuries, to transfer from Indiana, and nobody won. I mean, he, the only Power 5 offer he had was Washington. And to see what he has done the last two years – uh, going to you know playing Washington three times three three times he was the underdog he won all three times take his team to the national championship game so Michael Penix has done a lot and I think that mental toughness is something that'll carry over to the NFL and I think that's the best thing you can say about him and you know translating to the pro game is just that mental fortitude that he has that he's going to bring to an NFL locker room from day one hey Dane sometimes it's athleticism it's speed and then sometimes it's words and CJ Stroud a year ago had me at ball placement specialist he did, and he, he backed it up in his rookie campaign in Houston, too. 
He certainly did. And, you know, he had one of the best, you know, sitting there at Lucas Oil and watching him throw had one of the best workouts for a quarterback that I've seen. It's just very, very natural for him, his rhythm, uh, the way he can stay balanced. And obviously that translated. The NFL was not too big for him. He went to a great spot where they really, you know, married the the offense and what he does best. And, and, you know, that's that's the whole key. And I think, you know, we saw a little bit of that here in Indianapolis with Anthony Richardson and Sykin and what they were doing in that offense. And so, for all these quarterbacks, Caleb and Drake May and Jaden Daniels, J.J. McCarthy, I just hope they go to a spot where there's an offensive play caller that understands what they do best and then, you know, caters the offense uh, around around that. So they are in a position to be their best selves. And that's that's not always a guarantee. Uh, but hopefully these guys go to that type of situation so we can have uh, maybe a few more rookies uh, show out like uh, C.J. Stroud did last year. Hey, Dan, in closing here, too, do you, you kind of view the Steichen-Richardson combination as a long-term winner around here. Do you like it? I don't know how, uh, you know, you can't be optimistic, right? I mean, based off of what we saw, um, you know, Anthony Richardson had like a grand total of, what, uh, 370-some pass attempts in his college career. Like, did did he have to sit? Would he have to do? No, they put him out there, and they were able to, you know, they're winning games because of Anthony Richardson and what he was able to do to help move the offense. And so, uh, yeah, the injury was a setback, but I think you have to be optimistic about this pairing moving forward. And I'm eager to see what they do this offseason to help him even more. Is that another pass catcher? What do they do to, you know, help? And the offensive line was so much better and it should be even better after another year. But I am eager to see what they do to continue that Anthony Richardson maturation, considering he missed so much time with that injury. Well, we're going to be relying on you for all that information mm-hmm. in anticipation for what Chris Ballard is going to do to add to this offense moving forward with uh, Anthony Richardson coming back and uh, what they do coming up in this draft. It's Dane Brugler of The Athletic. His podcast is up, tells you position by position everything you need to know. Follow him at DP Brugler on X as well and uh, he'll be in town with everybody else for the Combine later on this week. Dane, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Hopefully we can do it again prior to the upcoming NFL Draft, but thank you for the knowledge per usual. No, anytime. Thank you. Dane Brugler of The Athletic or the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN and ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder. So how many minutes would you expect Shane Steichen to be taking questions from you and the uh, the gathering media members there, I'd say about seven minutes. What do you think? <laughs> Listen, we have the, like a a running joke on the press conferences, like how long can we keep them going? And if we get to seven or eight minutes, we are patting ourselves on the back. Like we are breaking our arm to pat ourselves on the back. Okay, because that's an accomplishment, brother. Uh, he, <laughs> this guy, he is nothing if not consistent. And I've told him that, like he knows. And I've even told him that, man, you are terrible. <laughs> In a half serious, half joking kind of way, he knows it's it's fine. He, you know, his whole thing is like, you know, look, uh, none of this stuff's going to help me. Nothing I say is going to help me. He's not wrong. I just 
you know, don't like to admit it. So yeah, well, it's all good. I kept him when he first got hired. I kept him on for 14 minutes, and I needed some sort of medal for it. Um, and yeah, you really I mean, should. I was, I was, key to the city I was getting down. I was getting down to it. However, I had to listen to him do his first interview. Basically, I 30 minutes before I went on, he was on with Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, and. I listened to him and I thought I've got to be loaded up with like three and four questions because literally even at that moment, the first ones here, he was like five word answers and out every time. No, man. I mean, that's what you see uh, in those, those pressers. I mean, that's, that's it, man. And now off the podium, he's a different guy. Um, And you know, when, when he's not in front of a microphone, he is a different guy. That being said, he's still not the chattiest guy even there. Right. Okay. And and even if you get him talking, like he, it, it oftentimes is, it always goes back to football. You try to get him talking about like, you know, you know, like, what do you like to do? What do you like to drink? I don't know, that kind of thing. And it, somehow it always gets back to football because when they say that guy is all ball, they are not lying. I remember at the owner's meetings last year, he had just gotten hired and you know, I was there with my daughter. My 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 family came with me, so we're there at, at the party. The the Monday night party at the owners' meeting is the only thing the NFL does for us ever, and it's pretty cool. So I'll give them that. Um, the rest of the year we don't matter. <laughs> but but the Monday night party at the owners' meeting doesn't suck. Okay, um, it's the only time I'm on equal footing with billionaires. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> we're hanging out at the party and trying to make conversation. <laughs> it was painful, man. It was painful. But listen. He ain't here to talk. He's here to coach football, and yeah. the guy can coach his butt off. So I guess we got that going. Well, you would much you'd much rather have a success as a coach than a yip yapper mm-hmm. to us. So that's what matters. Look, I mean, if you got to pick, right? I mean, you want the guy who can who can get it done on Sunday. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And uh, Shane Steichen with the media coming up on Wednesday. Is there anything, Stephen, you're looking forward to asking, talking about with either Steichen or um, or Ballard? The one thing that occurred to me. Um, I, I was kind of curious if you guys were going to go back to it. Will you go back to that that final play call um, that that ended so badly as it did against Houston in that final game of the regular season? Will you go back to that? And then, how much do you make of a defense that you know had its best season at you know, getting after the quarterback in forever, deciding to go away from? the uh, the current, the present defensive line coach. Those two are the things at the top of the list for both? I mean, those are two issues. I mean, the, the, I would say that the the play at the end of the Texans game, I, I think that one, I don't think we'll learn anything new from, about that because I don't think there is anything new to learn. What I mean by that is I think it's one of those things where you either accept the – explanation that, you know, we had a good play dialed up and it didn't, it, it just wasn't executed well, or you think differently. And I don't know that anyone's right or wrong. I mean, it's okay to feel differently about it. Uh, but I, I just think that we know where sta- we know where Shane stands on it. And he, his position is we had a good play dialed up. It just didn't get executed. And I firmly believe that that won't change. In fact, I know it won't change because he has told other people, and I know this, he's told other people the same thing very recently, you know, that he still sees it that way. They just, you know, they didn't execute it. And it was, it was there, it was wide open. It just didn't get done. So he's still, 
feels that way, that position hasn't changed. Um, I don't have a good answer on the defensive line um, coaching change. I was surprised by it, um, not up in arms or anything, but, but definitely surprised by it given the production. And I don't know if we'll get an honest answer, but it, it is worth asking for sure. Yeah, I just those two things stick out to me. Anything else that you have crosshairs-wise to ask coming up this week? Well, I, I, I guess the only thing would be like, you know, now that they've had a chance to take a step back, um, and now that we know Anthony Richardson, it seems that he's on track. You know, like, um, you know, just what what have what have they been thinking about, or what will they eventually when they sort of get closer to to offseason workouts? You know, what will be the emphasis with him? I mean, last year it was so – it was a it was a cram session, right, in the offseason with Anthony Richardson. Uh, it was really about how much can we teach this guy in, a, in this short period of time that we have? How can we pack all of this in? Even while he was, you know, just trying to learn the playbook and all that. And so – and even though Anthony didn't play last year to a great degree, I wonder, like, what's the emphasis going to be this year? Um, because he's not starting from scratch. You know, he, he did play some. He had the whole offseason. He, he, he played enough to show us something. So they're not starting from a blank slate. Um, I think how will they further accelerate him this year and, and get him to a point when on opening day, he's further down the line and he's further ahead uh, than he was last opening day. I, I think that will happen naturally, but you want to accelerate it as much as possible. And when I'll tell you, like, I, I've learned some things and talking to some people recently just about Anthony Richardson's, uh, just, just the, the mental aptitude of this guy, I don't think we talk enough about it. And that's what I'm told. And, and I, I would say that that's true from my observation. Uh, I think they can really, you know, sort of uh, go hard with this guy and really, you know, really lean into, you know, how much he can handle and how much he can learn and 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 execute and, and add to his repertoire because I think the I think it's more than people think. So Stephen Holder of ESPN, ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. The elevation of the salary cap, uh, what did that do? And I know this is just kind of throwing darts at the proverbial dartboard here, but what did you think that that could do, situationally speaking, to help out the Colts moving forward? Yeah, well, first of all, um, let's just say this. I mean, uh, $255 million per team. I mean, that is just an astronomical number. Uh, that's a jump of over $30 million from last season. Granted the, the increases in this, in the salary cap, uh, had, had basically been eliminated the last two years because of the COVID, um, revenue falls or shortfalls and all that. Right. Um, not a shortfall, but decrease in the revenue. The salary cap is tied to revenue. If revenue falls, the salary cap falls. That's just how that works. So they have they have sort of satisfied all of the the setbacks that they have with COVID. So now the revenue is where they hoped it would be, and actually even better than um, than it was originally. So that's how you get that big jump in the salary cap. So anyhow, it, it doesn't hurt. But I wouldn't say that it's a, a cure-all for the Colts, and here is why. Because all that means now is that other teams also have more money, not just the Colts. So to some degree, I actually think it's going to, to increase uh, what this free agent class is going to earn. 
So it might actually move the needle, uh, say, in the Michael Pittman negotiations. It may actually move the needle to where the asking price is even higher just because the, the money out there now is going to be a greater or a bigger pool of money. So anyway, um, we'll see how it goes, but, but I don't think it necessarily has uh, – it, it doesn't just impact the Colts. Let's put it that way, right? I mean, it has a positive impact on everybody, um, and that doesn't make it any less complicated for the Colts, I guess. All right. Um, T. Higgins, obviously the franchise tag yep. with the Bengals. They haven't utilized the franchise tag since McAfee. Is there any reason to believe that they may do that for the first time in a long time before the deadline? So this is not me reporting this, okay? I'm Uh-oh. giving you my opinion. Uh-oh. I want to be clear. Okay. No, no, no. I want, I want to just I want to make that clear to people because, okay. you know, sometimes people are half listening and all that. I'm just telling you now, I'd be surprised if he doesn't get the tag. I'm just telling you now. How, how how else can this end? And if I wrote a story about this, actually, it's supposed to run tomorrow. I, I just don't see how – I don't see a scenario where Michael Pittman doesn't get tagged. I don't. Because here's why. A couple of things. And I'll outline this in the story. Number one, we know this guy, he ain't taking no hometown discount. Nor should he, okay? I, I'm not suggesting he should. But that ain't even in the conversation, brother, okay? Like, my man wants – Every penny that's coming to him. And you know what? He waited longer than anybody. He played the contract out. All their other marquee players, none of them did that. He played the contract out. Give the man his money, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, He earned it, right? So I understand him taking that position. The other thing is, uh, if you are the Colts, uh, you have to assume, like this guy has already said that he's very interested in testing the market. Michael Pittman has said that on the record. He said that multiple times. So if that is what he says, you have to believe him. I I have no issue with that. I take no issue with him saying that. Um, and he says that's how you that's how you're going to find out what you're worth. So you have to take him at his word. If he's going to do that, I wouldn't like this if I was the player. But the team has the franchise tag at their disposal. It's the only. It's a chess move, right? It's the only move you can make if you truly want the player and he's telling you, I'm going to go to test the market where there's a bunch of money out there. Well, you better franchise him. <laughs> okay, you better franchise him. I don't think there's any deal like imminent or anything like that to where they may get it done before the franchise tag deadline. I, I don't – that's possible. But as we see here today, that isn't something I would say is likely – so I hope all this makes sense. All I'm saying is if you look at the available evidence, you look at the circumstances, to me, this results in a franchise tag. Doesn't that give them more time as well to sort things yeah. out on a longer-term basis? 100%. It, it, that's all it really does generally is you're kicking the can down the road. Uh, it, it does – it favors the team. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you're restricting the player. He's not a – he's no longer an unrestricted free agent. So – I get it. I know why players hate the franchise tag because you go from unrestricted to basically you're now a hostage, right? So I would hate it too. But in terms of a of a of a chess move for the team, I mean, talk about a trump card. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's huge, man. You know, you can basically take your best player and basically take him off the market. I mean, there isn't another. I don't know of another 
another rule in, in major pro sports that allows a team to have that kind of advantage, you know, in, in a negotiation situation. And, and it's huge, man. So, again, I, I don't know how they just don't use it unless they just don't care and they're fine with him walking because that – if you don't tag him, you have now significantly increased the likelihood of him walking. Michael Pittman wants to play for the Colts, yes. But Michael Pittman – also wants to maximize this opportunity. And it might be another team that results or that enables him to do that. And so if you let him get to the market, anything is possible. Who's second most important to take care of after Michael Pittman Jr.? At least I think that's that's my opinion. I'm assuming that's yours as well. Who's uh, yeah. after Michael Pittman Jr. in that hierarchy? That's a good question. I, I think you have to go to um, one of either Grover Stewart or Kenny Moore. The second, um, uh, Grover Stewart, I, I think, I think Kenny Moore and Grover Stewart are comparable players in terms of impact. Okay. I think they're very comparable. What I would say is that in the system that they play, there's probably a little more emphasis on what Grover Stewart does and his contributions. Does that make sense? So if you look at it from that perspective, I guess you might say a slight edge to Grover Stewart, but I'm, I'm a big Kenny Moore guy and I think he's worth paying. I think he, from a, a couple of things, number one, his, his leadership from a leadership perspective. I mean, it's huge having him, he has grown into a leader. And I think that's important, particularly in a secondary that is as young as theirs. So that's, that's the first thing. The other thing is he's a damn good player. He's a really good player, an underrated player uh, who, who actually might have more value for another team depending on the system that they run. But, but be that as it may, I just think he's a really important piece for them and had a really good season after in year one under Gus Bradley, I was very, I was very much of the opinion like this might not work. You know, like maybe this guy isn't going to be long for them in this system. But both sides, Kenny and the team, uh, kind of figured out ways to get the most out of him in 2023, and he had a much better season. He is Stephen Holder of ESPN on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The combine in town this week. We're talking that up. Are you going to be watching for any possible heir appearance in this combine? Um, and, and if you are, is there a particular position that jumps out as to maybe – Maybe not, you know, at 15, for example, but at some point in the draft, the Colts may be drafting an heir apparent for a positional player. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess hard to say, I, but I would say this. It, this is one of those drafts where uh, you're going to get a real Chris Ballard draft here. And what I mean by that Uh-oh, is... What, what, no, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. On. I almost here's tried. I, I, I giggled just for a minute. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> here, here's what I mean by that. Like, he he's he's all about like first of all with the with the 15th pick if they actually make that pick okay because i am i am bracing for them to trade down uh because that's what he does right and and i'm not judging it good or bad i'm just saying it's gonna probably be a draft where he hits all the notes um i think the likelihood of a trade down is there i would say that he also is gonna take some 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 traits guys with with high upside, maybe thinner on the uh, the college resume in some cases. 
Uh, he's he's not going to necessarily pick all the marquee positions. He's going to he's going to add some depth, I think, at some key spots, which I think is important. Uh, so, look, a lot of times we come away from these drafts and we're like, all right, I don't know, man, I don't know. But where they really do well, I think, is not necessarily in the first round. Where they do well is rounds two, three, four, five to some degree. I, I think they're that's their wheelhouse, and I think. Look, if they trade down and get a couple extra picks there, they could stockpile a lot of guys. And, and they actually have they actually have the kind of team. Look, I know everybody wants that marquee pick, and I, I get it. I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. But, but they are kind of a team right now that needs to kind of build up um, the, the sort of core of their team, you know, the depth. Because I thought last year was a great example of them having some key injuries, like IE in the secondary, and and it's just basically short circuiting their season to a degree, and this is how you prevent that. You got to draft. You got to use those those early to mid round picks. You got to make the most of those. They are good at that. They are good at that. Now, their drafts would be viewed differently if Chris Ballard put more emphasis on first round picks. He trades out a lot. He trades down even sometimes even in the second round. He's trading back. So. I get why people are frustrated with that, but they do get results out of those things. The, the trade-off is that you don't get those potentially marquee guys because they tend to go early. But, you know, look, it's a philosophical thing. I get it. All right. I'm going to ask you this because I, I'd love to see them do it. Uh, likelihood, I'm assuming no, but would they have enough interest in Marvin Harrison Jr. to try to actually try to do something about it? Oh, man. I mean, I'm here for it if they do. Oh, I'm but, right here for it, too. I'm getting a sports right. sports arousal as I was asking the question. <laughs> like, how many hours of radio could we get out of that? Oh, right? Well, look out. Everybody better jump over it now because if yeah. there's a positive spin placed on this, we may be stuck in here all night. Go ahead. <laughs> Listen, unfortunately, I don't have that for you. <laughs> okay, gonna, great. What I'm going to say is quite the opposite. Look, if you look at all of the – all of the indicators, okay, I, I don't see anything that suggests they would do that. That doesn't mean they won't. I, you always leave open the possibility. But look at who we're talking about here. We just talked about Chris Ballard's tendencies. Trade down, right? We, we talked about, or we, or we can look at his history, uh, wide receivers. How has he treated wide receivers generally? He, I don't know that he's – I mean, Michael Pittman, he's drafted him in the second. He's drafted Alec Pierce in the second. But those are those guys were drafted in years where they absolutely positively had to have uh, wide receivers. And they were content to wait. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, there's there's never been this beat-the-door-down urgency about that position. Now – I don't know if this guy is different. I I mean, obviously he's different. I don't know if they see him differently. I don't know. But I would say this. The the other thing that makes an argument against them doing it is this is a really deep wide receiver class. So if you're Chris Ballard, you're thinking most likely, okay, why would I give up assets to move up, even though he's an incredible player, give up assets, move up, and then come away with fewer picks when I can just – sit where I am and get a really good guy at the same position who's maybe one notch down. I mean, that's a, that's an argument that you have to consider. And it's a compelling argument to, in his defense. So 
I don't see a scenario where they do it. It just there's nothing about them or the situation that suggests the Colts would make a move for Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. In my opinion, I was sitting here hoping that maybe I know, I know, Chris listen. Ballard would do something a little bit different now because listen, listen, of, man. of I, Richardson. Listen, listen I, I would. Do you know how much web traffic I could produce from Marvin <laughs> Harrison Jr. to the Colts? Okay. Especially if you got me quoting sports arousal in there. There's no doubt. Loaded. I mean, right. I mean, when you put that in a headline and we're talking about, we're breaking the internet. Okay. So I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I just, I don't know. I can't lie to people, man. I don't see it happening. Hey, before I let you go, anything uh, new regarding Jim Irsay? No, um, I, I think things are still positive. I, I, I hesitate though to, to just assume that that everything's back to normal because I don't quite think that's true. Um, this is always kind of a fun it, weekend for him, was it not? To to meet people that he likes so much. So, what, what, I'm sorry, say it one more time. But this was always a kind of a fun week, right? A weekend for him around oh, here. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes. I, I mean, Maybe he, not. He wasn't. He wasn't always around for the combine. I I think the next milepost would be the owners' meeting. So we're about. Um, we're actually about a month out okay. from that in Orlando. I'll be down there for that. I have no idea if he'll be there. Um, you know, uh, there are some some sessions um, at the owner. I'm sorry, at the combine that are that are going on this week. Carly Ursay is involved in one. You know, like a forum type. You know, session and that kind of networking things that they do. Uh, she's involved in a couple of them. Uh, no sign of Jim that I'm aware of. So I, I don't know. I, I guess the question is now, yes, okay, he's out of the proverbial woods, you know, whatever that means. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's all the way back to, to where he was prior to this episode. And that's what I'm unclear about. So I think we got to give it a little more time. I just wanted, I wanted, I was kind of curious um, if he was able or in a position to say, move up and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. at some point. <laughs> Well, and that's that's the kind of thing I'm curious about. You know, like what is his level of involvement? Yeah. I actually don't think it's um, at its at its previous level right yeah. now. Yeah, uh, it doesn't appear that it is, at least. You know, so so I think he's still on the mend, as he said. I think that is still an ongoing process, um, but better than where he was for sure. Stephen Holder of ESPN and ESPN.com is uh, today, and at least for part of tomorrow, incredible weather. It takes a dip on Wednesday, reemerges, I think, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday around here having a nice weekend. So enjoy out-of-towners, and make sure you show everybody a good time, Stephen, okay? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I got to get some of them to buy me some drinks at uh, Prime 47 for at least – I'm taking credit for the weather today. I'm, I'm not taking credit for the rest of the week. So they owe me drinks for today's weather. Well, I mean, yeah, and take all your colleagues to, yeah, to wherever place. Take Schefter to White Castle. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got it. I'm on it. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Hey, by the way, if I'm down there, if you see me, come on over and join me for a little bit. Yeah, I'll be down there every day. I'll you got you. it. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen Holder. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, 
and everything in between. With that injunction, I think on Friday in both Tennessee and Virginia, uh, the NIL certainly got uh, more detailed. Yeah, not to mention as we get further and further, it looks like the NCAA is further and further in that rear view. And from CBS to explain, Dennis Dodds on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Hey, Dennis, thank you for the time today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I hope everything medically is fantastic for you, my brother. I do. Oh no, it was it was a follow up. It was nothing. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. That's well done. Hey, how did things on Friday? dramatically not so dramatically explain it to us here how did it change the landscape of things now moving forward well so quick because of a previous ruling not the one you just mentioned but a, but a previous um, temporary injunction uh what friday meant was that for the foreseeable future the next period of months there is no restriction on transferring uh, as many times as you want uh, the only restriction there is you can't play for two schools in one semester, but you can transfer, no restriction, and there will be no restriction on NIL benefits through collectives. So it, coaches that complained about the wild, wild west have no idea. It's about to get wilder. And this is, this is really the first day of it actually you know, happening. So we're kind of seeing things in dribs and drabs of, of offers coming in. Now, obviously, the player, and Dennis Dodd joins us of CBS, is going to be uh, the most beneficial from all this right now. Where does that put the schools in this case? And what does that do, for example, Indiana State, I'm a grad, I love Indiana State, mid-major, Missouri Valley. How will this affect uh, a team like Indiana State and those mid-major teams? Well, the, the players still can't do deals directly with the schools. Now, oddly enough, NCAA President Charlie Baker in your town proposed in December that that be allowed. It's just a proposal. It's being talked about. But I think the larger discussion is that anything's going to go. I think you cut to the chase on all this. By this time next year, we will either have some sort of collective bargaining agreement with players and or pay for play slash employees. And at this point, I don't think it'll be that big a deal. I think we've lived this, um, a look at this the last two and a half years since NIL has started. And does anybody care on Saturday when USC plays Colorado that Shador Sanders drives a Maybach? I don't. I'm, I'm breaking down the game to see who wins. And the fans have voted with their feet, record attendance. Last season was arguably the highest rated college football season in history. I, I think we're I think we're way past it. I think the public has accepted the future um, and rejected the NCA argument that you know this this will cut on, into attendance and it will cause uh, people not to watch TV. That's ridiculous. Uh, the game's never been more popular. So Dennis Dodd of CBS, you can find him at Dennis Dodd CBS on X. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So. Um... Ah, uh, it's it's right here, and I'm sure they're probably listening right now. Where's the uh, Where's the NCAA stand in all of this moving forward? Uh, diminished, if not dead. Um, I've been writing the NCAA's dead for 15 years. Friday was significant. Uh, you know what? They put on a heck of a party every March, <laughs> and that can't be taken that can't be taken away from them. Frankly, um, they do a really really good job with basketball and the other championships. 
Uh, if you've ever been to baseball, that's one of the best on the down low um, championships there is out there. It's really, really fun. In Omaha, I don't know what's going to happen with enforcement and all that. They seem to be toothless, although there are a number of cases out there, including Tennessee. Uh, I would like to know right now where that case stands since, you know, the, uh, the ruling was made on Friday. Uh, that came directly from the Attorney General of Tennessee, who filed the antitrust lawsuit against the NCAA. So I don't know where they are on that case, which really involves the freshman quarterback, Nico Imaleva, who was paid, signed a contract for $8 million with the Tennessee Collective. You know, I suspect we'll see more of that, given what we're talking about. But I also suspect this, that, you know, the market forces will apply. If there are enough kids that sign to these deals that don't pan out, and smart, peeping, smart thinking businessmen won't spend the money. Um, you know, it's, it's the same reason there aren't mercures anymore. They suck. They're terrible cars. Um, <laughs> if you throw good money after bad, the market will, uh, will reorient itself. Yep. I think we almost <laughs> bought one of those in 1987, Dennis, to be honest with you. Almost. Yes. I where that poll came from, actually, but it, I did. <laughs> Dennis Dodd is, is with us. So there's a vote coming up, I believe, right, regarding the prospect of unionization uh, for the college athlete, right? Is that coming up with, with Dartmouth in mind? Am I wrong? Uh, Dartmouth, yeah, Dartmouth March 5th will vote formally, and that I think they – Unless it's delayed, I think it's still March 5th, and they are expected, uh, those players, those 15, I think, to unanimously um, approve unionization. Now, the process legally could last years. And, again, based on what I just told you, I think the landscape will be settled before that case is even heard. But they've been allowed to unionize. I think they've all signed union cards. Um, I think there'll be more of that. And, you know, that'll just be another thing to deal with, whether, look, unionization doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to make a million dollars. In fact, the case was made during that hearing on on Dartmouth's unionization. Well, Dartmouth basketball doesn't make money. And the judge said, you know what, it doesn't matter. It's, It's about working conditions. That's what a union basically is. You can bargain working conditions, which include salary, and they could bargain for that. But I think in the in the short term, You'll see these players, you know what, we want to practice at 8 a.m., not 6 a.m. Um, we want to leave at this time for um, That's good. For games yeah. on the road. I mean, think of, think of the Big Ten. Yeah. They're going to have charters going everywhere. Uh, we, want, we want this served on the plane. It sounds outrageous, but that's the kind of things you can bargain. I don't have a problem with that. Hey, Dennis, quickly in closing, what does this do to the value of a coach's contract? Like, when does the, the players you assemble monetarily uh, completely outweigh value-wise that to a coach's contract? Well, there is some thought to, you know, the economic model. If you're paying the coach all this money, where does the money come from to pay players? And I would submit that in this model, the money to pay players doesn't necessarily come from – you know, schools that could come from collectives are part of it. But I think there's have to be a reorganization of athletic budgets where some of that, that money is taken away from coaches. Some, uh, some uh, sports will be dropped. Some will go down to club level. I think none of those sports are guaranteed uh, or quote-unquote owed in existence. I know that sounds crass, but that's the way the world is. Um, and I think the last thing that will happen, you know, actually, is that 
you know, Adabo Sweeney will have his salary cut. He may, but I think that'll be the last thing that happens, if you know what I'm saying. It's uh, Dennis Dodd at Dennis Dodd CBS. You can follow him. He's got all the knowledge for you right there. Dennis, we'll do it again soon. I appreciate you jumping on here and explaining certainly to a level in which I cannot. Thank you for coming on here. And uh, I'm assuming we'll be doing this here in the, the not-so-distant future again. Uh, we could do it daily the way things are going now. <laughs> Dennis, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, thank you. It's uh, Dennis Dodd of CBS on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Yeah. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, friend of the show, and I'm assuming during his time up at Peru, probably felt the same way. Stay off the floor in your street shoes. It's from Bally Sports, Indiana, Jeremiah Johnson. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you got basketball shoes for a reason to play yes. basketball in. Now, once you, what I would say is once you finish that season, then maybe they become your street shoes and you replace the basketball shoes. So you get some good use out of what you what you kept nice for that season. But in general, yes, what you wear to school is not what you wear to practice. Dirty, dirty gym floors drive me insane. I hate them. I hate dirty gym floors. I, I, there's nothing better than playing on a gym floor where it just got redone. You know what I mean? Yeah, the worst thing is always having to wipe your hands on your shoes to get them the squeakiness that you need, and then you look down, and then you're you're kind of licking your hands, and you're licking the dirt all over that was on your shoe on your hands. Well, in so, some, yes. maybe that was what happened to you last week. Well, here's the other thing, too, I cringe about is because my daughter does the same thing. The first thing they do before they go onto the floor is they run to that sticky pad next to the scores table. And I say, hey, you guys, all you do is get the sticky pad, you run out on a dirty floor, and the dirt sticks to the bottom of your shoes, and then you can never stop sliding all over the place. No sticky pad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I made my entire playing career without using a sticky pad, and I survived. I, I don't know when those became a thing. Sticky pad. Yeah, you just run out there, and then all that dirt. Like I love Center Grove and playing in the West Gym, but it is dirty as hell, right? I could do a double axle out there like I'm ice skating sometimes, and the sticky pad onto that floor, your, your shoes just get dirt on the bottom, and it never comes off. Never. Any, anytime you're in an auxiliary gym, it doesn't matter the school. Chances are it was a little bit slippery. Same with the West Gym we used to play at Butler, correct? Yes. Oh, we slid all over the place in the West Gym right there. You know that you knew you had dudes in there playing in boots and stuff whenever we weren't in there. And that was happening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson's got a second of a back-to-back tonight. He'll be a part of Valley Sports Indiana comes at you at 6.30 with the Raptors and the Pacers. I felt from start to finish that was the best game for the Pacers this season yesterday against the Mavericks. You agree? Wow. You know, it, it wasn't as emotional and intense at the end, and that's maybe what made it more impressive. So many of the big wins have included good clutch moments and maybe that atmosphere with a minute to play where you're on the edge of your seat. And that's probably what made it as impressive as the others or more than is because you didn't need that. You put that game away with your reserves on the court in that stretch from nine minutes until seven minutes, and then your starters just came in and just made sure that Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving could not even make a run. And so 
Um, maybe not as thrilling at the finish, but if you take a step back and realize it didn't need to be thrilling because you put, took care of business and beat a team that had won seven straight by 22 points, I think it's on the list. Um, but then as I pointed out, or I, I brought it up on Twitter and, and had some people respond, there have been a number of really big, impressive wins this year. So I'm not going to necessarily put it at the very top, but uh, the way they did it was certainly impressive. Hey, JJ, put it at the top. That was what we're looking for right now. Coming out of the All-Star break has been what? It has been consistency. You go back to Friday. When was it? Thursday. Thursday, that third quarter stuck out like a sore thumb. That was the most consistent from start to finish performance we have seen in a long time. That's the type of basketball, when I watch the Pacers, I want to see more times than not. Yeah, no, I'm not going to argue with you. Maybe we need. Well, you better not, because I'm going to get all pissy. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. It was the best. It was the, what was what were we saying? What was the adjective? It was the best said? game. It was the best performance of the season yeah. from start to finish. Okay. Yeah. Best best performance start to finish. You know what? It's your show. I'm not going to argue with you. Thank you. Kristen Airy said. I think his was his word was most impressive. So I use that a little bit on the post game show and on social media. The good news is there are a lot to pick from. I mean, you can think back to some of those wins, and this is the fourth time they've snapped a win streak of at least six. Twice they snapped Philadelphia win streaks. You had the seven-game win streak of the Phoenix Suns and then Dallas's seven-game win streak uh, on Sunday. So to do it against a good team who was pretty much fully healthy and playing their best basketball, um, I'm, I'm on board now. You can there make- you go. I talked you into it. That makes me feel good. That's exactly why I'm I'm in here to talk people into stuff. That's why I'm here. Hey, we're allowed to have a little recency <laughs> bias, right? I mean, we live in the moment. There's there's nothing wrong with hyping up what we just saw. People will tell you, I, I, I kind of, I am torn between most of the times in the moment in 1985. So I'm kind of <laughs> right between there. So yeah. that's my, my issue. So Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, Indiana, 6.30 coverage begins with he and Chris and Eddie and Quinn coming up later on tonight. Uh, ben Shepard. Ben Shepard had a fantastic performance, maybe his best as well. Are we getting to know him a little bit more, a little bit more clock, a little bit more what he can do on both ends? I want to see Neesmith get back as quickly as possible. However, that has opened the door for some minutes, more minutes, certainly with him in mind too. And yesterday he responded. Well, John, what did you think about Ben Shepard when the Pacers drafted him? I just thought maybe he would be – Honestly, a player a little bit like Doug McDermott. I didn't know a lot about him. I thought he could, you know, move without the basketball, catch and shoot. But I didn't realize he had this kind of defensive ability. And what he did before the All-Star break against Toronto, late late game against R.J. Barrett, and then what he's been able to do here in the last couple of games, Eddie Gills brought up some comparisons to what you saw last year. You had a guy like Andrew Nemhard you didn't know maybe a lot about, and he earned playing time with his defense. Aaron Neesmith. Uh, you knew a little bit more about, but he showed he was an elite defender. And I'm not going to put Ben Shepard in that category, but he might earn additional playing time, not from the, the way you might expect, being able to knock down those threes, but with his ability to guard. And as long as Aaron Neesmith is out, maybe it just buys you a little more time where you don't have to rush him back because of the confidence that Ben Shepard is playing with. Uh, I love watching him grow. Think about a guy that the first two months of the season spent more time with the Mad Ants, and then before the All-Star break, makes a game-winning play on the defensive end, then five for five from three, and what you called the most complete game of the season. Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's been quite a season for the rookie. Someone drafted 26th overall. 
So Jeremiah Johnson is with us. I mentioned Aaron Neesmith. I want to see him get back sooner rather than later. What's the track of this right now? What's your feel of it? I'm sure you'll find out a little bit more. I know he's not going to play tonight, but what do you think the track of it is as we talk right now? You know, my hunch would be he still has to have a good practice before returning to the court, and there may not be one of those opportunities until later in the week. But you feel better about it than you did maybe going into the All-Star break because that initial diagnosis or injury report said shin soreness, but then you saw him very gingerly after the game and you were a little concerned. And then uh, the x-rays proved that it was a sprained ankle, I believe. And, And seeing him on the practice court, not doing a lot, but not limping at all. And I think he went through a pregame workout Uh, on Sunday afternoon, what he would normally do if he was playing. So that was a really good sign as well. So my my thought might be you still would want to have a practice and you don't really have those uh, after a back-to-back. So probably no practice tomorrow. They'll have maybe an intense walkthrough on on Wednesday. Maybe that's enough. But maybe by the end of the week, if he gets to practice, and he's not one of those guys that's going to milk it. So as soon as he can play, he will play. He's like you. He wants to be back as soon as he can. Yeah, the other thing that stood out, Jeremiah, is – the the legs look fresh. The legs didn't look so fresh going into the All-Star break. I, I think since then, even in that game where you got three out of the four quarters good the other night, I thought yesterday we were back to running the floor at what we become accustomed to knowing this team doing early in the season. That's at least how I felt the past couple of games out of the All-Star break. You were correct in your assessment about a month ago when when Tyrese Halliburton was out, then he was coming back on the minutes restriction. The strength of this team is is looking down at the end of the game, or one of the strengths, I should say, and having maybe you know twelve to fourteen more fast break points in your opponent because that can get you a little bit of a head start. It keeps the game from having to be that half court offense, which you know the Pacers are better in that area, but they're also better in transition than almost any team in the league. And so uh, a lot of things were going on before the All Star break. You had the minutes restriction. You had a little bit of an illness going through the team, even hitting the coaching staff a little bit. This team needed the All Star break, and even though. Some of the guys were busy because the event was in Indianapolis and Tyrese Halliburton didn't get a lot of time off. When he returned to the court on Thursday, I did feel like he was rested, rejuvenated, and really very close, if not all the way back to where he was in early January before the injury. And you can go up and down the roster. I'm seeing a lot of intensity. I'm seeing a lot of juice. And I'm seeing them get out and go. And the fast break numbers will show. The pace numbers will show it. The the offensive uh, scoring and, and efficiency will show it. So you just hope that can continue. This would be a challenge game, maybe just because you're on the second half of the back-to-back. And, and those have been times where maybe some of that catches up to you a little bit. Maybe fatigue sets in. But because they had that rest last week, I think they could be in good position to overcome that tonight. Did you see it all? I, I didn't notice, I guess, because I wasn't looking. But did the pace numbers prior to the All-Star break fall off a bit and obviously it would if Halliburton's not out there but did you see a substantial fall off in that category before the all-star break yeah they definitely did fall off just a little bit I mean it was one of those things where early in the season you were always first in pace and then the last uh I don't know I hadn't separated it out but currently they're second and they'd fallen down to third or fourth I think before the all-star break just in terms of the team now you don't necessarily say you want to have the, the highest pace. That's going to lead to success because right now it's, it's Wizards' fastest pace, Spurs third, and Hawks fourth. However, uh, when you do that efficiently, when you have the fast break points and when you limit the other teams 
uh, fast break points. Uh, it's still the way the Pacers want to play. And the, the question I'll, I'll continue to have a little bit moving forward is you don't think of the playoff games as being able to be that same type of game. But can you still push teams? Can you wear teams out in a series because you have that ability and they maybe want to slow the game down a little bit? I still think with Pascal Siakam, they're more equipped to play a little bit slower, more of the half-court game. But when they get stops and when they get you know, turnovers, they still have the, the top priority is to, to go. And it's a lot easier when Tyrese Halliburton is healthy, and, and we've seen that the last few games. How about Matherin, a rebounding madman yesterday? He went up and snatched some stuff impressively in that game. He did. When, when a guy – you know, raises eyebrows, gets everyone talking by a rebound. It's a powerful rebound. So he had, I think, two of those offensive rebounds. But to have the double-double third time of his career, and then, oh, by the way, five or six assists as well. That's that's kind of yes. that all-around yes. game. That, yeah, you, and, and he even made a few passes that didn't end up being assists because I don't think the, the – you know, his teammate was maybe even preparing for it. He was almost too unselfish of a play with any luck. I mean, he's got triple-double numbers. And this is a guy that in his rookie season, sometimes you'd see, you know, 18 points, one board, one assist. And so that, that shows some of the growth that he's making. I really liked how he's accepted this challenge of being in the starting lineup, at least until Aaron Neesmith is out. And if Neesmith comes back and, and he goes to the second unit, he'll really anchor that group as well. But, I think the key to him succeeding with the starters is playing that unselfish brand. If he's with the second unit, you need him to be a little more aggressive in scoring. Maybe that group needs that, but uh, it was a, even though he shot more and maybe wasn't as efficient offensively, I also loved how he took that challenge regarding Luka to start the game. I mean, I know Luka got off to a good start, but some of those shots, I don't know who, I don't care who was guarding him, he would have made them. And I really thought that Ben accepted that challenge. And for both he and Andrew Nemhard, when you've got Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic on the court and you're second-year players and you're really embracing that that opportunity to guard those two guys, I mean, nothing but a positive can come from that. I, they did a great job against Luka in the second half, by the way, too. Uh, 25 first half, what, eight in the second half? He ended up getting to 33 for the game. That's what you want. Plus, I just wanted to see if I could get you to say snatch the rebound because I kind of giggled at that. So, didn't get it done. My bad. Sorry. Well, I want Chris. I'll have Chris say that tonight when he yeah, goes up and does. Sure, you will. That. Yes, he will. Yeah. He'll be right on that. Hey, we'll be watching six thirty. You guys hit the air, right? That's right, uh, my brother. I appreciate you as always. You know that. I'll I'll be sure to step on the uh, sticky uh, yeah. the sticky floor before the game starts, just to make sure I can get up oh. and down the court. Yeah, I hate it when they do that. No more sticky pad. Let's outlaw the sticky pad. Let's do it. <laughs> See you, buddy. All right, take care.